You're listening to a message from Southview Church, located right outside of Nashville and Spring Hill, Tennessee. Now here's our featured sermon of the week. A couple weeks ago, Pastor Mark started us down this journey of our deeper series. We talked about engagement, and then we talked about evangelism, and we talked about prayer. And, and so today, that leaves one letter left. That's D for discipleship. And I have the, the privilege and the honor of talking to you a little bit about that. You know, it may have messed with some folks that, that we kind of went out of order, but trust me, I'm praying for you that Jesus will put those in the right order. It's pretty simple. The only ones that are really mixed up are the D and the P, so you just put them in the other order, you're good to go. When we talk about discipleship, and we're just going to jump right in. We're just, I mean, we're just going to get going because I have a lot to share that the Lord gave us. So when we talk about discipleship, it's such a Christian word to say discipleship. It's such a Christianese thing to say, you know, I'm being discipled or, or I'm a disciple. I mean, if I were to say I'm discipling Charmay, it makes me sound like, Ooh, he's this big, bad guy. You know I mean? Ooh, he's a disciple maker. Or if she's saying I'm a disciple of pastor Josh, it makes it sound like she's something that she's not. It, it, it almost gives a whole connotation to this whole thing of being in a cult. And, and so I, I, I had a, I had pulled up a couple of couple of, of disciple makers that have made headlines across the years. Jim Jones and the People's Church, Marshall Applewhite, and I don't know who would follow this dude. I mean, because and then David Koresh with the with the Branch Davidians down in Waco. But see, here's the problem: all of these folks, they were they were they they were disciple makers. They had disciples. So when we as Christians talk about discipleship, this is where people go. They're like, oh, you're part of a cult. You know, that's not the case. When, when it, it, that word discipleship, it, it now has all these negative connotations because of, those, because of those folks and many others like them. But when it's done biblically and it's done the right way, it's a beautiful thing. It's an absolutely beautiful thing. And so today I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and, and give you a little information on how to disciple, but also how to be discipled. So I've titled this message very simply, How to Disciple. Very easy. Sometimes people will say discipleship is just another word for mentorship. And while I can understand that, and, and to some extent probably agree with you, I think that they're actually two very different things. Mentorship, when, when you have a mentor, it's someone who's, who's experienced, who becomes a trusted advisor in your life. When you have someone who's discipling you, it's, it's a Christian that enters into the relationship with somebody to, to help you become a true follower of Jesus, to help you trust Jesus. The biggest difference between mentorship and discipleship is a mentor will come in and, and speak into a certain area of your life. So for instance, if, you want, if you're wanting to be a better communicator, you're going to find somebody who is a good communicator. And you're going to sit under them and you're going to learn from them. And you're going to, you're going to learn how to speak and how to present and how to do all of these things. And it's probably going to be for a short time because it's only one thing that you're having them focus on. When you come in under discipleship of somebody, you're actually saying, I want you to help me realize and understand my identity in Christ and walk with me through that. That's the difference the, you're, you're helping somebody learn who they are. Discipleship is, 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 different in that sense. Let me put it to you this way. I, I found this quote. Someone said this about being a disciple when we talk about it. As the soldier follows his general, as the servant follows his master, as the scholar follows his teacher, as the sheep follows its, its shepherd, so ought the professing Christian to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. 
if we're going to talk about discipleship, if we're going to say, I'm a disciple, I'm a Christian, then we should walk it out. We should walk out how it's supposed to be. We can't do it. Otherwise, otherwise we're just talking out of both sides of our mouths. Discipleship is mentioned in the Bible a little over 260 times, but here's the thing. It's only, it's only listed in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. That's it. That's all. That's all she wrote. Why? Because that's where Jesus spent his time pouring into 12, and then he sent them on their way to go and make disciples. And we're going to talk about that. But, and, and I want you to remember that. Remember that, that Jesus spent that time and then he sent. I would argue that while there are a lot of things in Christianity that are very important, discipleship is probably the most important thing that we can do as Christians. Discipleship is probably the most important thing that we can do as Christians. But in order to do that, we have to understand a couple of things. Whether we're, whether we're making disciples or being disciples, the very first thing that we have to do before we enter into this relationship is we have to first let go of ourselves and be a true follower of Christ. We have to let go of ourselves and be a true follower of Christ. I'm just going to throw this out there. I'm probably going to step on some toes today. And it's not intentional. It's not because I'm trying to be mean, but it's because I'm trying to call all of us into a higher standard, a higher, a higher way of living. Because this is what the Lord, look, when I put this sermon together and the Lord gave it to me, it has messed with me all week long because I'm writing this stuff and I'm, I'm putting down these thoughts and I'm like, golly. And so I'm sitting here preaching to myself. Second time I'm preaching to myself today. When we're talking about being about letting go of ourselves and being a true follower of Christ, that means that we don't just come and play church. We have to be the church. We can't just, we can't just come in and, and check the box and put the money in the box and walk out and live the same life. We have to walk in the same way that we're walking out. We have to be renewed. We have to do more. We have to not just wear the clothes. We have to be a true representation of Christ. Otherwise, we cheapen the gospel and cheapen Christ. We have to let Jesus shine through us to a world that's just yearning for something. You have to be discipled in order to make disciples. You have to be discipled in order to make disciples. In the Great Commission, Jesus sends the disciples, but not before what? Teaching them, training them, empowering them, encouraging them, and then releasing them. That's what it means. That's, that's our job. That's what the Great Commission says. Our job is to go and do those things. We are, the reason I say that discipleship is important, especially right now, is because we are fighting a battle in the supernatural that is unlike anything we've ever seen. The supernatural, look, it has gotten to the point where the supernatural is becoming the natural. You don't need spiritual gifts. You don't need things like that to see what's going on. It's not hiding, excuse me, it's not hiding in the shadows anymore. It used to duck and be hidden in corners and you couldn't see it until it kind of peek its head out. But now it's just like, hey, here it is. We're going to talk about that. Some people will, 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 will look and say, well, what was the catalyst of all of this? Well, I've heard, I've heard people refer it back to COVID. Oh, when COVID happened, everything changed. I'm not going to argue that things changed. Absolutely. But here's what I'll say. COVID simply acted as gasoline to a smoldering ember that was already happening in a dying church. COVID only acted as gasoline that, that affected a smoldering ember in a dying church. 
Churches everywhere began to close their doors, and all it did was accelerate that. It just accelerated the path they were already on. It brought light to it. In a, according to a study done by Lifeway in 2019, 4,500 Protestant churches closed compared to only 3,000 opening. That's the first time since they'd been tracking this that there was ever a time where more churches closed than more opened. We're fighting this battle. Pastors are currently reporting that only 85% of their congregations have come back since the pandemic. There's another, another uh, study that was done by the Survey Center on American Life and the University of Chicago that found in the spring of 2022, last spring, 67% of Americans reported attending church once a year compared to 75% before the pandemic. Now, we can say, oh, well, you know, 67% to attend once a year. Once a year! <laughs> One time! And it's dropping. Now, 85% 67%, I will praise God all day long for those numbers because that's people coming to the church. But that's also people not coming back to the church. As I read through, I mean, it could be, could be worse. Could have been, you know, 50% or 35% coming back. I mean, so you celebrate the, the positives, right? But as I was reading through these statistics and, and, and looking through this, there was something even more disturbing that I had found. When that study was released, there was a study that was done two years before the pandemic, 2017. Lifeway surveyed, surveyed uh, young adults between the ages of 18 and 22 who regularly attended church for at least one year in high school. And of those surveys, they found that seven out of 10 of them stopped going to church. Now, some of the answers, of course, were because they moved, they went to college, things like that. But of those that answered, some of the top answers, that they, some of the top reasons that they stopped going to church was because the church was too judgmental and hypocritical. A quarter of those that responded said they didn't agree with the church's stance on political and social issues. We are losing that generation. We're losing the young adults. We're losing that whole crew. Why? Some would say because, well, COVID. I mean, it just highlighted those things. And so now they're gone and they got better things to do. I would, I would disagree with that. The reason that we're losing that generation is because we don't spend the time to learn and understand a developing generation and disciple them in the ways of the Lord. You can hear a pin drop because that's what it's, because it's true, because the Lord is speaking the truth. If we did disciple, if we did take the time to understand a generation, an up and coming generation, if we took the time to understand them and took the time to, to disciple them the way that we need to, they would understand when we have differences, when we don't agree with the social political outcome or, or when the churches, when our church is different than what society says is right, when we don't agree with that. They would understand at least our position. But it's so deep. We're not doing that. And I'll tell you why. Because our generation, my generation, Generation X, we're responsible. There are kids our kids it's our generation of children our kids are coming up and they're the ones that are stepping away why let's take a little a real broad stroke at this because there's some folks in here that are like well you know what i mean 
I was raised in the church. I turned out all right. I'm raising my kids in the church and I'm, and they're turning out great. And God bless every one of you for pouring into your kids. Truly. I mean that from my heart. Truly. Thank you. Because what you're doing is you're changing the trajectory. You're, you're, you're flipping the script and, and you're starting and, and, and building a legacy that's changing and that's going to change. But if we broad stroke this and look at Generation X, the mid 60s through the mid 80s, you have to understand, I have a 22 year old kid. So I'm, I'm speaking from experience here. We were, as Generation X, we, we had a whole bunch of different things going on. We, were, we had two, two working parents, typically, in a household. Two working parents. We were latchkey kids. How many of you remember coming home, you get home, you throw your books down, you get a snack, you go out and play until the streetlights come on, then you come in and you go to home. That was it. Mom and dad were working. We were latchkey kids. We were the first generation with personal computers. We had, we had MTV when they used to play music videos. We had the rise of, of the young urban professional, the yuppies. We had things like the fall of the Berlin Wall, the Challenger disaster, and we had Purple Rain and the Goonies. And Parag, we had the 85 Bears. Come on. We had everything, we had it all. We may not have the football team now, but we're not talking about that. We're still living in the limelight. It's fine, it's fine. But we had everything. We had, we had parents who would literally drag us to church. I remember it. We had parents that would drag us to church, but they would take the time to instill that in us. That would, they would pour into us. They would talk about these things. May not be in depth, but they would do that. But our culture, the Gen X culture, was, was a work hard, play hard culture. We had movies that would show the benefits of independence and being a workaholic, and we didn't have time for much else but that. We wanted to do that. We were ready to do that. We were ready to jump in and, you know, be traders on the stock market and make millions of dollars and live the lavish life and go out for drinks with our friends and come home. That was what we did. That was what, that was what Hollywood glorified. So we were like, hey, we're getting into this. This is, this is the way that it should. So as soon as we're able to leave home, we split. And in the dust, we left church. Because we didn't want to have to do that. So we're living it up. We're growing up. We're rocking. We're doing the things that we want to do. And then we get married. And then we have kids. And during that time of their influential years, those 18 to 22-year-olds now, during those influential years, we're trying to figure out this work-life balance because that's one thing that Hollywood never taught us about. We're trying to figure out how this work-life balance works. And, and so we, we end up becoming CME Christians, Christmas, Mother's Day, Easter Christians. Those are the only times that we'd show up to church. Why? Because mom dragged us there, right? We would get there, but we didn't disciple our kids. We, we didn't do that. We didn't pour into them like our parents poured into us. And so now as we're, as we're in our adult years and we're like, man, why are my kids falling away from the church? Why are they not coming to church? Well, just think back. They're doing exactly what we did. They, they ran. We're seeing the fruits of our labor or lack thereof. We've taught them to be independent. We've raised them to not need anything. And they're not, they don't. Our kids, the world is calling. And a lot of them are listening. The world is saying, hey, come out here. It's fun, we have cookies. And they're saying, I like cookies.
there's an article that I read and I sent it to, to a couple of our leaders. It really shook me to my core when I'm looking at these 18 to 22 year olds that are, that are leaving and why and when they left. And it really, it messed with me and, and, and it's been kind of hard. Apparently in the United Kingdom, there's a, a, a church, I'm gonna use that in air quotes. It's the global order, global order of Satan. It's, they're Satanists. And over the last five years, take that back, 2017, 2018 timeframe, global order, order of Satanists have increased over 200%. One of the people who runs this, who runs this, this order, it, it, in the article it said that he's a chaplain, but I refuse to call him that. He says this, and I quote, I'd love to be able to claim that we could pat ourselves on the back and say, yes, we've done our infernal work here and we're successfully declining the number of Christians, but I think it's a far more complex issue than that. He is not even taking credit for what's happening in the Christian church. He's saying it's deeper than that. They have their own issues. We're just reaping the rewards. He goes on to cite two reasons that he believes people are leaving Christianity. The first is the decreasing popularity of traditional dogmatic religions. And the second is a movement towards self-identification and self-realization. They're telling them what they want to hear. They're telling them what they want to hear. You can be anything you want. You want to be a unicorn? I'll buy you a horn. Come on. It's fine. They're telling them everything that they want to hear. And that's not okay. That's not okay. As, as Christians, that should upset us. They're coming out and they're saying, look, we don't really worship the devil. It's not what you're thinking. Yeah, we have some rituals and some things that we do, but it's not like that. They're saying, just come be who you want to be. We love it. A wolf in sheep's clothing is still a wolf. Doesn't matter how, doesn't matter what kind of, what kind of icing you put on the cake. Core of the cake is the same. There's a reverend, uh, the, a reverend uh, professor emeritus in, uh, of history in the church at the University of Oxford that said this in, re, in response to what that Satanist said. He said, I'd say these are all symptoms of people who've been disappointed by other religions or who may only, or who may only know them superficially and who are looking for a system of belief to make their own, since our society encourages individual consumer choice and research, may only know them superficially. What's that tell you right there? They're not being discipled. Those kids that are going out and making these choices don't know anything about the religion that they're walking away from, about the, the goodness of God, about the, the, what it's like to be in right relationship. They don't know. They're leaving uninformed, and because we're not informing them, they're walking away and just saying, it's okay. Proverbs 22, six says, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. When he is old, look, y'all, I'm sitting here. I ran from the church. You, some of you know my story. I ran from the church. I wanted nothing to do with it. But at some point in my life, the ground that I am, the ground was, was fertile enough that the, that the Lord could dig a little hole, plant a seed, cover it up. And for 40 years, let it sit there and germinate until a time when he called it forth to sprout. We're missing that with our kids. We're not discipling the way that our parents discipled us. If we did our job correctly, then when they get to this point, one of two things is going to happen. They're either not going to leave or when they leave, they're going to turn around and come right back. Look, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with kids, that, with, with young adults that go out and, and try and find their way. But if you give them a solid foundation to go off of, they're going to be better off. They're going to be better off with a solid foundation. 
The problem is we don't understand them. We don't know how to talk to them. Generation X, I, I mean, I read you a, a, a list of things that, that we're known for, that we take pride in. You know, we're children of the 70s and 80s. We love it. You know what they're calling the, the generation that's coming up now? Screenagers. You know why? Because they have never known a time without access to the internet. How much does that blow your mind? My kids, all of them, can get online and type in Encyclopedia Britannica and pull up anything that they want. Not one of them has had to go to the library and look, go all the way through, oh, I need R. Oh, wait, Mark Rampula has R. What am I supposed to do? I got to wait for him to return it. They don't ever have to do that. They're just like, and they pull it right up because they have instant access to anything that they want, anything. That's just how, that's, that's why when we let go of the time that we can pour into these kids, we're shortchanging them. We're shortchanging them. And what happens is we don't want to because we don't understand them. We don't know how to talk to them. And when we don't know how to talk to them, they, don't, they just think that they're being ignored. But here's what happens. Sometimes when we do talk to them, we forget where we came from because we're like, oh, just, you know, just sit there and just be happy. Just forget about it. Oh, well, all your friends want to go out drinking and driving? No, just don't do it. Just say no. You for, we forget about the peer pressures. We forget that they are under immense stress and, and things that we haven't had to deal with. They're, they're, they're doing that. They're, they're, they're dealing with that on the daily basis. And so what happens is, is when, we're not, when we're not speaking or sitting and listening to them or we're, we're coming at them, then all we're doing is fueling that judgmental attitude they already think of the church. We're fueling the hypocrisy that they already think the church has. And so now we have to sit here and try and battle against that. The beautiful thing is we have the opportunity to swing the pendulum back in our direction. It's very simple. You have to care. You have to listen you have to learn to understand, and you have to disciple. It's very simple. Seems like this enormous task to sit down and talk to your, to your teenager or to a young adult and be like, hey, so, you know, tell me about your day. And when they start rattling all this stuff off about TikTok and all these other, I'm like, oh my God, I have no idea what you're talking about, but I'm going to sit here and I'm going to listen to you because I'm going to try and understand. Here's what we don't do. We don't sit there and say, stop, explain that to me. Explain to me what you mean. What is this? Because we don't want to look like we don't know. So we'll say, mm, oh yeah. And then we're just, we're just glazing over it. And if you want people to, if you want people that you're discipling, whether it be a young adult, whether it be an older person, whether it be your spouse, your kids, whoever, if you want them to come and ask you and be open with you and ask you questions openly, then ask them questions openly. Discipleship is a two-way street. Discipleship is not me, 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 me. It's us. It's a conversation. It's a walk. It's not a lead. It's a walk through life with Jesus at our focus. But we still hesitate. We still stop. We still fall short. Why? Why don't we, why do we still wait to disciple? Because we don't feel adequate. We don't feel like we can. We don't feel like we should be discipling. Oh, I'm nasty. I, I, can't, I can't disciple. I don't know anything. Okay. Learn. Not about you. We're not prepared to disciple. I can't disciple. I'm a brand new Christian. Learn. You can disciple. 
You can absolutely disciple. You can walk with somebody in their walk. You can take them along. You just have to do it. We don't know who to disciple. <laughs> That's easy. Here's a, let, me, let me give you a little example of who to disciple. We wake up, 536 o'clock in the morning, get your little stretch, go out, get your first cup of coffee. That little ankle biter jumps out of their crib and starts pulling on your pant leg. Disciple. Disciple. Start there. Don't have little kids? Go with bigger kids. Don't have big kids? Talk to your cat. Talk to your dog. I don't care. Talk to somebody because here's the deal. You laugh, but here's the deal. If you're sitting there and you're talking to your dog, who's going to be looking at you like, Are we, am I eating anytime soon? You're going to be discipling. And then once you sit down and I sit down in front of Rick and I say, Rick, let's talk about this. Then all of a sudden we have this interaction. I'm practiced. I'm ready. Ask any communicator or ask any pastor who preaches on a Sunday how many times they go over their message, how much they prepare. Because I can promise you this, if they say, oh, I just walk up here and God just gave it to me right now, they're few and far between. You have to practice. You have to be ready. You have to be ready to go. Another reason, we compare ourselves to others. Stop. Comparison is, the, is a killer. Stop comparing yourself. You're not me. You're not Pastor Mark. You're not Scott. You just do what God's called you to do. You don't have to, like Pastor Mark talked about prayer last week. You don't have to have this great prayer. You don't have to have this great discipleship piece. You just have to talk. You just have to engage. We're afraid to correct somebody or call them out. That will stop discipleship every single time. Because what we're doing when we're afraid to correct somebody or to say something is we're saying, you know what? I know this is right, but I don't want to offend them. So I'm just going to line up with the world. And when I line up with the world, it just doesn't work. When I line up with the world, I'm actually cheapening the gospel. I'm cheapening my relationship with Christ. And I'm cheapening the discipleship moment that I have with a person. You need to be able to stand up and step out. What's the worst that can happen? The worst that can happen is the person's going to say, I don't want any more of this. Okay. No skin off your back. Last reason, for, for now, I'm sure you guys probably have a bunch if you think about it. We expect pastors or our churches to do it. You expect pastors to disciple every single person in their congregation. I'm just going to tell you right now, it's, it's, it's not feasible. It's not. It's not that we don't love. It's not that we don't want to. It's just that we don't have the time. You know what? We have the same 24 hours in a day. And it's not that we want to cherry pick. It's God highlights people that we're going to pour into. And here's the goal. When we pour into somebody, the expectation is they're going to go and pour in, pour out to somebody else. If they're not pouring out, if I'm discipling somebody and they're not pouring out to somebody else, then they failed in discipleship and in their, in their mission to disciple. And I failed as a disciple maker. If, I, if they're failing, then I'm failing. That's the relationship. So how do we disciple? How do we be discipled? I'm going to give you three goals of discipleship. I'm going to give you three requirements of discipleship. And all of these goals and all these requirements can hit that young adult age, can hit the, the, the 20s and 30s, the 40s, the 60s and 70s and 80s. You don't have to be older than somebody to disciple them. Let me just clear that up right now. If you're a young adult, if you're, if you're in your mid-20s or early 30s, you can absolutely disciple people older than you. I truly believe it. Because what God has put in your life, you can lead somebody down that path. You can lead somebody and talk to them and help them understand their identity 
in Christ. Goal number one is to be more like Christ. Luke 640 says this, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. When we're discipling people or being discipled by somebody, we take on the traits of those people. Those people that are pouring into us, we take on their traits more so than we do in a mentorship process. We're taking on the traits of our, of our disciple maker, positive or negative. So I would ask you, if you're, in a, if, you're, if you're in a discipling relationship, even if it's with your kids, with your spouse, whatever it is, what traits are you passing on? Are you passing on anger? Passing on frustration? Passing on encouragement, love, life? What are you passing to, to whoever you're discipling? Remember, the disciples, the 12, they, disciple, they became like Christ. They took on his teaching traits. They took on his attitude. They took on his behaviors. Not because they were hoping to be better than him, but because he poured into them. That's why Paul says, if you want to imitate me, that's fine. I'm imitating Christ. Because that's our goal, is to be Christ-like. The disciples were never above Christ, but at one point, Jesus stepped aside and said, now you go. You can do more. You can do more. Goal number two, be a servant. Be a servant. Mark 10, 42 through 45 says, and Jesus called them to him and said to them, you know what those, what those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be a slave for all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus, his disciples, didn't, they weren't slaves to him. The disciples weren't slaves. They were there willingly. They walked away from everything to willingly follow. Jesus didn't walk in and say, hey, paid for you. Come with me. They weren't slaves. They didn't do that. It was, it was all about following him. It was all about being willing and open to learn. If you're in a discipleship re uh, uh, relationship, whether you're discipling or being discipled, you should, be, you should feel like you're being discipled. If someone's going to sit there and say, hey, okay, in order to be my disciple, what I'm going to need you to do is I'm going to need you to go get my laundry. I'm going to need you to go pull my car around. I'm a little bit hot up here, so I'm going to need you to dab my head. That's not, that's not discipleship. I'm just telling you right now, that's not discipleship. And on the flip side, if you're under, if you're being discipled and you're like, hey, what I'm going to need from you is I'm going to need this, that, that's not discipleship. Discipleship is being poured into. It's being encouraged and corrected and taught and retaught just like Jesus did with the disciples. That's what discipleship is. Jesus, we can all agree, he came to, I mean, he deserves to be served. He deserves to be lifted high up. But when he comes out and he says, look, I'm just here to serve. Shouldn't we do that as well? Goal number three, the Great Commission. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of an age. Jesus gave the disciples and ultimately us our marching orders. Not negotiable. He said, do it. That's what we're supposed to do. Pretty simple. I mean, it's right there. 
we are called to make disciples of all nations, every one of them, all nations. That means all people, all ethnic groups, all races, both genders, all ages, everything, everybody under the sun. That's who we're supposed to share the gospel with. It's our job to do that. It's our job to bridge that gap. It's our job to pour out so that God can pour in. It's our job. We talk about living in the overflow. We talk about living in the overflow. And how often do we say, Lord, when it's, when, let me live in the overflow of finances. I'll give everything. Take finances out of the picture. How about you live in the overflow and abundance of love, of understanding, of compassion, of acceptance, of, of, of correction? How about you live in the overflow of that? How about we? How about I? Let me preach it to myself because I don't want this to sound like I'm, like I'm standing up here. Look, I, I have a microphone, so I'm able to, to just come down. And I don't want it to sound like I'm saying, you, 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 because I'm not. I'm preaching to myself. This is me. I feel this myself. I feel it in my soul. I feel it in my bones. Josh, you have messed up. You stopped short. You cheapened it. You've, you've sold out to, to things that you shouldn't be so selling out to. You should sell out to me. Be sold out to me. Be somebody that I can give the power to because I know you're not going to keep it. Don't put it in a lockbox. This is what God's telling me. Don't put it in a lockbox. Pour it out. I gave it to you not so you can hold it, but I gave it to you to get through you. I don't want, I don't want to sit on it. I can't sit on it. If I have all these things, if the Great Commission tells me to, to go and pour it out, I'm like a water balloon that's just ready to burst. I should be. If I'm being discipled, that's how I should be. If I'm in right relationship with God and people are pouring into me, I should be like one of those water balloons that any second it's going to pop. That's what, my, that's what my heart, that's what my soul should feel like. Like I need to get this out. I gotta, or I'm going to explode and it's, it's not going to be pretty. But I want to live in the overflow that is God. I need to bridge that gap. I need to, to do that. We all need to do that. We all need to do that. We all need to reach out, to step out. There's three requirements when it comes to discipleship. Jesus lays, lays them out pretty plainly in Luke 14, uh, verses 25 through 23. I won't read them all. But in there, he says this. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, they cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. He lays it out. It's, he says, look, you got to give it all up. It's, he, he basically is saying, look, it's not about you. That's, that's the blueprint. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about Pastor Josh. It's not it's about Jesus. And if I'm going to follow him, and ask people to come along and follow him and be able to have these challenging conversations, which will happen, I promise you. I have to be willing to rely on him. Because here's the thing, if we are set back, if we're like, okay, I don't wanna go and have this challenging conversation because I don't know everything that I'm talking about and somebody, somebody might challenge me and I may not know the answer, so I'm just gonna step back and not say anything. What does that do? What does that say about Christianity? It encourages kids 18 to 22 years old to step away from the church because no one's willing to take a stand. No one's willing to say, look, we may not agree, but we can have a conversation. That's what it causes. I want to have a conversation. 
as a, as a disciple maker, we should want to have conversations. I should want to be challenged. I should want somebody to sit down and say, but in the scriptures, it says these things. Okay, you're, you're right, man. And I, I, need to do some, I need to do some research. I need to do some prayer. I got to ask God because I don't have an answer for you. You mean you can do that as a disciple, as somebody who's making disciples? Absolutely. I would rather you do that than, than fill somebody full of lies and, and misunderstanding. There's three things when it comes to, to making disciples and, 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 being a, and, and being a disciple. First requirement, I should say three requirements. First requirement is time. You have to be available, plain and simple. You have to be available. You have to spend your time investing in people. If, you, as, if you're a disciple maker and you're willing to take someone under your wing, you're saying, I'm willing to give you 100% and not a drop less. I'm going to give you everything in our time. I'm going to give you everything. And, and if someone actually honors you by asking you and, and honors you with the opportunity to disciple them, they say, I would love to come under your tutelage and you accept then give them that time. Don't cheapen it. The beauty of giving them time shows that they matter. It shows that you take what they're asking you seriously. And as a disciple, when we talk about time, you have a responsibility too. And that's not to waste the time of the person pouring into you. If you're seeking knowledge and guidance, go to them. Show them you're willing to sacrifice because their time is valuable just like yours. Spend the time. Make the sacrifice. Number two, second requirement, proximity. Your people have to be close to you. The people you're discipling have to be close to you. Teach them, talk to them, let them ask freely. We talk, I just said this a little bit ago. You have to have this two-way conversation because if you don't, it's just a dictatorship and that's not discipleship. Correct them when they need it. Guide them. Being close to your, to your disciple keeps them alert, keeps them aware, lets them know that you're available. Remember, remember back when you were in school, whether it be high school or junior high, and you were sitting there and you'd be taking a test and the, the teacher would walk around and they, you know, they, they'd walk up behind you, you know, and you kind of get that nervous, anxious feeling. You know, you're sliding your cheat sheet up under your test, but you get this, get this nervous, anxious feeling, right? I can feel it because I know some of you who have been in school recently are like, oh my God, I hated that. But what did that show you? What did that moment show you? It showed you that your teacher was always there if you needed them. Maybe they were, and it kept you on the straight and narrow. Teachers watching. As a disciple maker, that's what you need to be able to do. I'm not saying that you need to be with the person you're discipling 24-7. I know Jesus was, but look, you, they have to be able to come around. They have to be near you. They have to be close to you. As a disciple, here's the bonus. As a disciple, as someone being discipled, it's your job to protect the relationship that you have with the person discipling you. What's that mean? Well, it's, it's very simple. If that person is successful, or if that person holds, that's discipling you holds a position of authority, don't leverage your relationship. Put your phone away. Don't take that picture. Don't, don't post it on Instagram. Don't be like, hey, just hanging with my homeboy, hanging with my, hanging with my disciple maker, hanging with my, with my mentor. Don't do that. Respect the relationship. Respect the closeness. Guard it and be loyal. Be loyal. Last requirement is access. 
your people need unfettered access to you. If you're discipling somebody, give them access to be discipled. Don't cut them out. Be real and open, just like you want them to be. Two-way street, be real and open. If you're discipling them, you should want them to be around you. Don't chase them, but allow them to be close to you. Give them access. If you can, if you can bring them in and say, hey, come with me to this prayer meeting or, or whatever, and you just, you just go. Don't, look, you're there to observe. You're there to learn. You're there to, to gain knowledge. The 12 had unrestricted access to Jesus. Your people need to feel like, like they can come to you with their, with their celebrations, with their issues, with their tough decisions, and they need to trust you to walk through it with them. If my wife and I are having a hard time, I should be able to go to the person discipling me and say, man, I'm having a really hard time. I need some, I need some, some spiritual growth. I need some spiritual direction. What can we do? And as a disciple maker, my response should not be, well, here's what you need to do. It should be, let's pray about this. Let's take this before the Lord. What can I walk with you in? It's providing guidance, not direction. It's not, it's not saying this is what you need to do. Look, man, here, you told me everything that's going through. You need to leave her. You need to do all these. No, no, no. It's what can I do for you? How can we partner with God to have him speak to you? Sure, give recommendations, but don't give directives. If you're being discipled by somebody and they have a platform, and this goes along with proximity, if they have a platform that you, man, I want to do that. That's where I want to go. That's my goal. Much like the warning in access, don't leverage that relationship to get what you want. Don't ask for them to make a couple calls for you. Don't ask for them, hey, man, you know, I mean, you, what, what do you think? I mean, we've been hanging for a little while. You think you can give me a little opportunity up on the microphone? Don't ask for that stuff. It cheapens the relationship. It, it shows immaturity and a lack of respect for what you're doing. It takes something beautiful and deep that God put together, and it makes it shallow and muddy and ugly. If the time comes in that discipleship process, it'll happen. God will speak those words. But if you try and force it, you make an Ishmael in the process. And then you have to deal with that. And it's just not the right way to go. Three things. Three, three requirements, three goals. But what, what does that not mean? Well, discipleship is not. Let's clear a couple of these things up because maybe, maybe somebody's thinking this. I don't know. Discipleship does not mean walk up and hand somebody a Bible and pray the prayer of repentance and then ring the bell and be like, another one for the kingdom, woohoo! Like to do it a car lot, that's not discipleship. It's true. But you know what? People think it is. Discipleship is not when someone comes up and says, hey man, I have some questions about, about the scriptures. Or I have some questions about this. Discipleship is not saying, hey, have you watched the, the most, most, recent season, most recent season of The Chosen? Because they really talk about a lot of this. That's not, that's not discipleship. Hey, I'm, 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 trying to, I'm trying to understand the, the sacrifice of God. Hey, have you watched The Passion of the Christ? That's not discipleship. That's not. It's not taking something that's meant for entertainment purposes and saying, this is what you need to do. Good tools? Maybe. But it's not. You can't rely on that. Discipleship isn't, isn't keeping a disciple forever. It's building them up 
letting them walk. And then eventually, remember that pen I told you to put into it? Eventually stepping aside like Jesus did and saying, go, fly, spread your wings. Let me be your biggest champion. Let me be the one that can pour into you. Let me be the one that can do, that can help you. What can I do to propel you into something I could never do? That's discipleship. Just because you say you're a disciple maker, just because I say I'm a disciple, it doesn't mean that we are until you actually put action behind it. Just because you're in a position of leadership doesn't mean that you're a disciple maker. Look, I've worked for leaders before who, are, who, who have, have, have been racing up the corporate ladder and they've made no bones about it. I'm going and, and this is my goal and this is what I'm going to get to it. And you know what? I have the most respect for those people because they may, they're not trying to sugarcoat it. They're just saying, hey, this is where I'm going and I'm going to get there. The ones where, where there's issues and when we talk about discipleship where there's issues is, is when someone comes and says, yeah, man, I'll help you along. And then they step on your neck to get up to the next spot. That's where there's issues. That's where there's issues. Discipleship is, is more than just nice words. It's about action and sacrifice, trust and belief because it's been built and it's been earned. Disciple makers put the needs of others above those needs of themselves. They limit the use of I, me, my, and say we. They take the heat for the bad things and give credit for the good. Jesus corrected his, his disciples, but he also, he also said that they did a good job. Disciple makers listen to hear and not respond. As a disciple maker, it's okay to say, I don't know. As a disciple maker, it's okay to say, you know what? I got nothing. That's okay. You don't have to have an answer. You don't. Don't give the enemy room to make ugly what God has made beautiful. Like I said at the beginning, when discipleship is done biblically and it's true, it's beautiful. It's a process. Don't rush it. Don't rush the process. You know the old, the old analogy, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink? If you relate that to discipleship, discipleship is not taking the horse to the water and then holding its head under the water until it, until it starts to realize that it might need a drink because you know what's best for it. You know that if it doesn't drink, it's gonna die. That's not discipleship because the horse is gonna get up and it's gonna run away and it's gonna, it's gonna repel you. Discipleship is taking that horse and leading it to water and sitting with it until it realizes that it needs to drink. It's spending the time People are thirsty. We need to lead them to the river of life. We need to spend time with them. We need to let them realize their thirst. And then we need to walk with them. That's what discipleship is. When it comes to the younger generation, that's what discipleship is. Younger folks, when, when you're looking at your friends, you can disciple them too. Make a choice. Jesus said that the world, the world is going to hate you, but remember they hated me first, so what do you have to lose? The world's going to hate you already. It doesn't matter. Would you rather make the choice for the kingdom? Or would you rather just live a false life and be two-faced, feed into that hypocrisy? feed into the judgmental nature. God created discipleship to be beautiful. And we have the opportunity to walk in that 
with people. We have the opportunity to partner with heaven and say, yes, this is what it's about. I'm going to do this. I'm going to take it on my shoulders, God, because this is what you called me to do, and I'm going to disciple this person. But God, I can't do it alone. I need you to do it through me. I need the words to say. I need to know how to approach it. I need you to show me what to do, because if I do it by my own hands, guess what? It's going to fail. God gave us the opportunity to partner with him in this. That's what we need to do. That's our next step. That's why we start, if you look at deep, discipleship. Discipleship, how important is that? Engagement, being engaged with the people around you, being engaged in your church community, evangelism, taking what you're learning, taking the discipleship piece and your engagement piece and taking it outside the four walls of the church and really showing what it means to be a follower of Christ. And then prayer, praying in everything that we do. Everything that we do. Thank you so much for listening to this message. Southview Church is a non-denominational, multi-generational, multicultural community of believers passionately pursuing Jesus, family, freedom, and unity in the body of Christ. If you would like to connect with us, visit us at southview.cc and follow us on Facebook and Instagram.